Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. So my job and our job here at The Bay is to tell stories about our communities. But recently, I got the chance to tell a different kind of story, one about me. Earlier this summer, the San Francisco chapter of the Asian American Journalists Association hosted a live storytelling event at KQED called Hella Asian. It was this amazing gathering of local journalists and storytellers sharing reflections on how we come back as a community after the last two and a half years. I told a story about a camping trip I went on with my best friend during the pandemic. It's a story about friendship and photography. It's also a story about the mental impact of journalism and the news, especially on journalists of color like myself. The story shows how my work has affected me and my sense of safety after covering the pandemic and hate against the Asian community. And that's the story we're sharing with you today. Stay with us. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. So 
So back in the MySpace days, I was really into cameras and taking pictures of things. Taking pictures was a very casual hobby of mine in middle school. I would bring a digital camera to family events and just document them. And my best friend, Rochelle, she's always been into cameras and taking pictures of things, too. In eighth grade or freshman year, you got a Canon, I got a Nikon. Here's Rochelle. And we would just take pictures of everything and anything like of each other, of our families, of, you know, the car across the street, you know, just random things all the time. Now, a little bit about Rochelle. Rochelle and I have this matching tattoo on our arms of our childhood homes. We grew up on the same street in Sassoon City, California, in one of those suburbs where every other fourth home is the same model. Our childhood homes were identical, inside and out. My favorite addendum to this fact is that we even had the same couch as kids twice. We're also both Filipina-American, so we've always had a lot to relate on. And photography is just another one of those things. We rarely had pictures with each other because one was always taking pictures of the other person. Me and Rochelle have been friends for more than 20 years. And when the pandemic hit in 2020, we really didn't see each other at all. So when the vaccine finally arrived and promised to change life in the pandemic, we got vaxxed up as soon as we could and planned a camping trip. It was March of 2021 by this point. I forgot what it was like to plan things and this trip was happening all kind of last minute, but we landed on a place that we'd both never been to before. Kirby Cove in the Marin Headlands. We pulled up their reservation page and there was one available evening for late March at campsite number one. So we booked it. I just remember we both were just talking about how stressful work was and how working from home was getting, it was getting old. I know we didn't really see each other. So we just needed that break from our like everyday lives. Now, this was my first big trip out of the house since the start of the pandemic. As a journalist, I needed a break from the news, and Rochelle needed a break from her job as a coordinator for an after-school program, which she'd been running via Zoom. We hadn't had quality time with each other in months. We both needed this. And then, Atlanta happened. We want to start with a horrific shooting rampage in Georgia that has left We're learning eight some people new dead. details about a string of shootings at Atlanta area spas that left eight The deadly shootings dead. in Atlanta, killing at least eight morning, people. As well, fearing the attacks may have targeted the Asian like community. a series of deadly shootings at Asian massage parlors. Six of the eight dead are said to be Asian women. Six were women of Asian descent. Police say the 21-year-old suspect admitted to the shooting, saying he blames the spas for providing an outlet for his addiction to sex. Police also say he was... By this point, I'd seen dozens of stories and photos and videos of Asian elders being beaten and attacked. Oakland and San Francisco were the epicenters of some of the most high-profile incidents. I just remember during that time, like, it was heavy for you. I know for, I know that, like... Work was really stressful um, because of what's because of what you just have to cover for your job. 
all the storage you have to do. As a producer working in local daily news, it was my job to pay attention to those things, to let them swirl in my mind and figure out how to cover them. And no matter how much I wanted to, I couldn't look away. I always felt it was my responsibility and my job to bear witness. A lot of elderly Asian people were, you know, being targeted for, you know, blaming us for, you know, COVID and the whole pandemic. And at that time, I was like living on edge, not for me, but like for my parents, for your parents. When I told my dad about me and Rochelle's camping trip, I remember him telling me, if you don't go out, nothing bad will ever happen to you. If the six Asian women and two customers killed in Atlanta never left their homes, then sure, they might not have been killed by an armed white gunman who targeted Asian businesses because of his, quote, sex addiction. Sometimes when I go out, I worry my dad will prove me right. But as journalists, we're not really supposed to have big feelings about the stories that we work on. To cover the pain of the pandemic, the failures of our institutions, police violence, attacks on the Asian community, and meet our deadlines, compartmentalizing is a necessary skill. So I spent the week of the Atlanta shooting shoving my feelings to the back of my mind, just to get through work. And by the end of the week, I was just happy to be getting away. I packed my car for one night of camping with my best friend. When we finally got to our campsite, man, it was very, I was, I was speechless. Kirby Cove is this amazing grove of cypress and eucalyptus and pine with its own private little beach. One spot that always pops up in my head was this little, like, field of calla lilies. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. And, like, the sun was just, like, hitting them from behind and, like, yeah, it was just so beautiful. It was like a movie. Yeah. One of the descriptions of Kirby Cove on the official Golden Gate National Parks Conservancy website says, quote, no other beach in the world has a view like this. It just felt really nice to just be outdoors and enjoy the vitamin D and like also getting to do that with you because I haven't like we haven't seen each other for so long. Now, to get to our campsite, you have to walk from one end of the cove to the other. Campsite number one was the furthest from the entrance, perched on a cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean and the Golden Gate Bridge, with San Francisco on the other side. It was the best campsite on the cove, and we felt lucky, because for most of the day that we arrived, we were the only ones there. Me and Rochelle pitched our tent and began exploring the cove. Around the corner from our campsite was Battery Kirby. It's this large slab of concrete built into the hillside and used to defend the coasts during wartime. 
Before the end of World War II, batteries like these contained 16-inch guns that fired 2,000-pound projectiles. When we got to Battery Kirby, visitors had covered these abandoned structures in chalk drawings and messages. I remember at first we, we saw the chalk and we didn't know, like, we were like, oh, what should we write on this? Because, you know, people mm-hmm. were, like, the other drawings on there were, like, smiley faces, rainbows, or, like, profanity, whatever. But we had this whole wall, empty wall of, mm-hmm. like, a, like a canvas. Like, what, what could we write? You started writing, um, stop AAPI hate because that was just the week leading to our camping trip that was it was it was everywhere because mm-hmm. maybe it was just also like a hey there <laughs> there are agents here at this campground like we don't want any harm or whatever rochelle wrote love us like you love our food under my message on the battery wall and i didn't think about it at the time but there was so much irony in that act Yet another example of gun violence in America, commemorated on a slab of concrete that once housed weapons of war and domination. After we finished exploring the rest of the cove, we made our way down to the beach and touched the water. I marveled at the cliff's walls. There were these amazing indents in the earth that looked like stairs. The roots of the trees that shaded our tent above were poking out, and it was such a beautiful day. As the sun began to set, we walked back through the cove to the entrance where our car was and brought the remainder of our things to our campsite. More campers had begun showing up and pitching their own tents around the cove. And I started to take stock of who else was camping at the cove that night. One campsite was a group of white high school boys with their one Asian friend, At another site was a group of men drinking beers who gave off bachelor party in the wilderness vibes. I couldn't help but notice that there weren't any other women around, or any people of color for that matter, with the exception of the one Asian kid. And I started to become painfully aware of my body. To get anywhere to and from our campsite, we have to pass by Battery Kirby and our chalk messages written in huge letters. But every time we passed it, there was this dread that I could not shake. I just couldn't bear to look at it. Something inside of me was deeply paranoid. I worried we'd find our messages defaced with either some hateful message or maybe even a Nazi symbol. Something to tell me that someone who doesn't agree with stopping Asian hate would be here. Something to prove that maybe my dad was right, that I should have just stayed home. And whether these were legitimate fears or not, I started to regret what we wrote on the battery walls. Writing those messages had woken something up in me. 
They were reminders of the thoughts and feelings I had spent the week shoving to the back of my mind. In the wilderness, your sense of safety is warped when you're a woman. And when you're out of the house, period, in March of 2021, your sense of safety as an Asian person is warped too. I kept these thoughts to myself though. I tried over and over again to ignore them. By this point, the sun had set and the city was glowing. The other side of our campsite was pitch black. I didn't want any of these feelings to ruin the trip, so I stuck to the itinerary. I'd printed out the New York Times' 36 questions that lead to love before the trip. Me and Rochelle had planned to do this activity together after dinner. According to the preamble to the questions, the idea is that mutual vulnerability fosters closeness. And I learned things about Rochelle that I didn't know before. I learned that she has a secret hunch about how she'll die, that she thinks I'm a generous person. We talked about facts about our lives that we forgot were actually wild coincidences, like the fact that our dads are from the same town in the Philippines, that they both had three daughters, and that we were both the bunsos, or the youngest, and how wild it was that the universe had brought their daughters together on this cliff at that moment. We talked about her mom's death when we were just freshmen in high school, how I didn't always know how to be helpful after that. You apologize for like, like not knowing what to say during that t- the time that my mom passed, but it was also like, I, di- I didn't expect anything from it when we were 14, cause we were so young. Um, and like, it's something that like, I never want you to experience. So it was okay, you know? I just appreciated you being there. Um, And I don't think I, like, thanked you for that. It was the kind of conversation with your best friend that grounds you, brings you back to Earth. The kind of conversation that feels like yet another chapter for two friends just growing up and figuring out how to do life together. It just felt like our own little, like, therapy session. And just talking about those things with you, with my best friend, it just, it felt good. It just felt like I I got a lot off my chest, my shoulders. I only mentioned my fear and paranoia to Rochelle once that night. She asked me if it was because of the people that we passed by on our way back to the campsite. She knew. She sounded so sure when she said that we were going to be okay, and that comforted me. But I didn't sleep at all that night. Instead, I gamed out an escape from our spot on the cliff in case someone tried to enter our tent. I even imagined waking up to a group of white men lounging in our chairs and helping themselves to all of our food. Every rustle in the leaves made my heart stop. Rochelle's brother-in-law slipped a knife in her bag just in case, 
but we accidentally left it inside of the lockbox that secures our food from wild animals, and it was dozens of feet away from our tent. I tried to focus on the sound of the ocean, but I probably slept a total of three hours that night. We woke up pretty early, I felt, like seven, eight. Um, and I remember like waking up hearing the, like, the waves from the beach. You were already awake, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I asked if like you were okay, and you were telling me you barely slept because you were scared from the night before. But um, I think just like getting out of our tent and like seeing that like everything, our, our all our stuff was still there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, getting that morning sun felt really nice. When we went to the bathroom down the hill from our campsite, the group of high school boys and the bachelor party in the wilderness were all gone. We were alone again. Like, no no cars, nothing. Like, not even a, a tent was there. But yeah, it was also just, like, a relief, like, I guess, that we were safe. Mm-hmm. That was, like, the main thing. Me and Rochelle ate ramen for breakfast and took in the final hours of the most amazing view of the Golden Gate Bridge before it was time to pack up and go home. A week later, I processed our camping trip in therapy. I told my therapist I'd never felt so out of control of my own mind and body. She told me that what I'd experienced was a trauma response, a direct result of my job as a journalist and a likely culmination of all the information I was consuming about the shooting in Atlanta and the attacks on Asian people leading up to it. It was the first time I really cried about what happened in Atlanta. In journalism school, you don't really learn about the psychological impact of this work or how to mitigate it. And when it's your community under attack, how do you stop yourself from having big feelings about the story? How do you compartmentalize that? For Black, Native, Latinx, and Asian journalists, we are expected to do this every day under the guise of objectivity when what we really mean to say is the guise of whiteness. After the Atlanta shooting, Asian journalists reported being told by their superiors that they weren't allowed to cover the story for fear that Asian reporters couldn't cover it fairly. By telling journalists of color to remove ourselves from stories, it's asking us to whitewash them. When in reality... Our experiences, our hurt, our pain, and our fear only illuminate the truth. It wasn't until weeks later that me and Rochelle developed our film from the trip. When I got the photos back, I was floored. How is it that all I see is joy? One of my favorite pictures from the trip. It was a picture of you. 
you're just facing the ocean and in front of you was the Golden Gate Bridge and um, you can see faintly the Bay Bridge. I feel like we both captured like not just like the beauty of like Kirby Cole, but like the beauty of, of us and like each other. Just like looking at those pictures, yeah, it was just like a very happy time in my life, even though we were both going through our, our own things. Um, it, it, didn't, it didn't show, that's for sure, in those pictures. I wondered if my smiles were evidence of a sort of dissonance, of how good I'd gotten at compartmentalizing. But I think many things can be true at once. I'm glad that this is what I have to remember of our trip, because they also show me that we can make art out of tragedy and pain, that when I'm afraid, fear insists that I return home to my body, that maybe this is what it looks like to return to my own body, if even for a photo. These photos remind me that it's our friends, our family, our community, who will beckon us home. That it's them who will remind us to smile for the camera and to remember joy. This story was originally written and produced for Hella Asian, a live community event hosted at KQED by the San Francisco chapter of the Asian American Journalists Association. Thanks so much to the folks behind this live event, especially Ryan Davis, Cecilia Lay, and Kristen Huang, who edited the live version of this story. This version was edited by Alan Montesilio. It was produced by me. Shout out also to producer Maria Eskinka for gathering some of the sound that you heard in this episode. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, y'all. Talk to you Wednesday. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.